This morning, Faith Family, I want to share with you a story of something that God did through one of the men in our church uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, Randy Watts, uh, 12 years ago, was an atheist. Marriage was falling apart. Uh, was looking for other things to satisfy the deepest longings of his heart. But people at Westwood were praying for Randy. And because of some men who prayed and influenced and spoke into his life, Randy came to faith in Jesus. God transformed his life, reconciled and restored his marriage. Talk about the faithfulness of Jesus. I'm going to start crying, dude. A couple of years ago, the Lord called Randy and Lee and Sydney and Seth to go to Belize and to serve for two years, working in the Hope Creek community, sharing the gospel, helping plant a gospel church there in that village that's in desperate need of Jesus. The Lord has brought their family back to Alabaster and serving at Westwood. And uh, a ministry that uh, Kevin Derryberry Ministries has been working with for years is a place called Safety Net. Safety Net is a place for boys who have behavior issues. Many of them come from broken homes. Uh, Their parents are in prison or um, parents are dead or nobody in their family wants them. And so on a regular basis, Kevin's been taking groups down there to minister in this home. And that's where we brings to this situation of what happened a couple weeks ago. The Lord did something, Randy. So the Lord led you to go down to Safety Net on Easter Sunday. So why, why did you go down to Safety Net? Well, so the this, this Saturday before Easter, um, I mean, these kids, they are broken. They are hurt, and they are hopeless. And one of the things God's shown us is to share the hope of the gospel with them, you have to build a relationship with them through the love of the gospel. These, they don't trust. They're, they've been hurt so much. So... We had a group of guys that have committed to go down every month and to start building those relationships, sharing that love, showing them the gospel through the love, through the hands and feet. And we got to spend the day with them. Went down. Kevin had been, gone down. We, we got to feed them and, and have a great day building those first steps relationships with them. And as we came back and leading into the week of Easter, a couple days before Easter, praying for those boys, God hit me um, to reach out and ask what they had going on on Easter. Um, they, have a, they have a chapel down there, and they have churches that do chapel service. So I, I called and asked, and um, the text I got back just broke my heart. Um, the director said, well, nothing. The churches have been a part of this place down here, but in the, in the recent year, they've kind of dropped off. So it's just another day for them. It's just going to kind of be empty. And, and right then, God said, you're going. Um, <laughs> and and I, I'll be honest with you. It's a couple days for Easter. Um, I, I didn't know what to do. I, I don't know how to do a chapel service. All those things. And, and I started, you know, God, I can't do a chapel service. What I, and and I, what God said was so amazing. He just said, I'm going. That's all that matters. Hmm. I love it. So Easter Sunday, and so instead of getting up and having time with your family and coming and gathering and worshiping and then going to eat or whatever families would do on Easter, you went two hours south down to, down to safety net. You got down there. Tell us what the Lord did that day. So we got to do a chapel service for him. Um, myself and the, the director came down. Um, thanks to some people here, we, we were able to scrap together a laptop and some music to, to give them a chapel service with some songs to, to, that celebrated Easter. Um, and then God you know, 
spent the whole week praying, God, help me share the story of Easter. Help me share why we celebrate Easter. And from beginning to end, got to spend an hour walking through with them why we celebrate Easter, why it's the, the greatest moment in all of history, um, and ending with sharing the gospel, because we knew God was, was doing something. You could see it in their eyes. And, and as we ended, the, the director shared her testimony um, and shared the gospel and called them. Like, today is the day. I know many of you, he, you know God is calling you to, to come to life, to, to, for new life in Jesus Christ. Um, and as she ended, outside the chapel, there's a lake and a giant cross on a hill um, right outside. And she invited them. She said, we're going to go down that cross um, and anybody who's, who, who know God has called you right now, you, you know you're, you're ready to give your life to him. And, and despite everything else, to have a new life starting today. Or if you've given your life to Christ and you're broken and the pain and the anger, all of that has just choked it out. And you don't know how to be the man God's called you to be. Go down to that cross and we're going to pray for you as long as it takes. So I walked down to the cross and knelt down and started praying. Had no idea what was about to happen. And I heard a noise behind me, and as I looked up, 30 boys came walking down the hill. And for the next hour, we got to get on our knees and pray with every one of them as they, with tears in their eyes, they cried out to the Lord and asked him to help them overcome the horrible things in their life and become the men that God called them to be. Amen. Amen. Can we celebrate God for that? Yes. I love it. I love it. Well, church family, we want to invite you to go. There are, if you're not serving anywhere, this is a ministry for you to step into the lives of broken young men who need hope, they need encouragement, they need someone who's gonna speak words of life into them. And so once a month, Randy is leading groups down there to Safety Net on Saturdays. If you're interested, uh, at the close of the service, you can stop by the information desk on your way out where there's a sign-up sheet. Just put your name and your contact information and we'll follow up with you. Once a quarter, Kevin Derryberry Ministries heads down there and they work in tandem with Randy and the work that they're doing. And so this is just a tremendous ministry opportunity for our church to join God where he is at work. And I just, I praise the Lord for what he has done. And Randy, I praise God for how not only how he has transformed your life, how he continues to work in you, but how he is working through you. So praise the Lord for that. Can we pray together for the boys of Safety Net? Father, we pray for these young men. I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would meet with them even this morning. I pray that your word would be so clear in their hearts. I pray, Lord, you would lead many of them to begin opening their Bibles and seeing and learning about a God who is crazy about them. I pray, God, you would raise up an army of servants who will go and go and tell and have impact for King Jesus there. I thank you for Randy and Lee and their impact on so many through their lives. And I pray, God, you would continue to prosper the work of their hands as they seek to impact their world for Jesus. God, use our church to spread the fame of Jesus both near and wide. And with God, we're gonna trust you. We pray you would get the glory in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen, amen. Can we celebrate what the Lord did? Amen. Thank you, Randy. Love you, my friend. Grateful for you, my friend. So good, so good. And, and that's what the Lord's doing, y'all. And just throughout our church, men and women, families, God is at work in and through all of us, drawing us and using us to impact our world for Jesus. That's our mission. Westwood exists to invest in people who will impact their world for Jesus. That's what we're about, is we wanna invest so that we can go and have impact in these brief, temporary lives that God has given to us. If you're a visitor this morning, thank you so much for coming to worship with us. My name is Kenneth Bruce, and I'm the senior pastor here. I hope you got a worship guide, because in it, 
is a Connect card. If you wouldn't mind just filling that out and then hold on to it at the close of the service out at the information desk. We have a gift we want to give to you to say thank you so much for coming to worship with us. Uh, also, if there's any prayer requests that you might have, you can write them down on that Connect card or you guys can put them on the uh, Westwood app. It's a great resource, a one-stop shop where you can get everything you need in regards to our faith family. Parents, let me ask you a question. Let's say your son calls you and he says, mom and dad, I have just met the girl I'm going to marry. God has told me this is the one and I can't wait to marry this girl. And you say, well, tell me about her. Well, she is beautiful. Like, oh, that's good. That's good. And she is funny. Like, oh, okay. So this, this is really promising. And she's so smart. And you're like, okay, this is really good signs here. And she's a prostitute. How would you respond? Would you sit here thinking, are, are you sure that you're hearing from the Lord? Like, are you sure? Oh yeah, I'm sure. Like the Lord has told me this is who I'm going to marry. And so it's like, God, do you know what you're doing to lead my son into this type of relationship? Well, this situation is not far off of where Hosea finds himself. The Old Testament prophet has the Lord come to him and calls him to marry a woman who is promiscuous. Let me show you. Grab your Bible and turn with me to Hosea chapter three. You see, the Lord commands the prophet to go and marry a promiscuous woman and God commands the prophet to marry this woman who will be unfaithful to him to display God's faithful love for his unfaithful spouse. We're in a sermon series right now called Divine Design. As a faith family, we're looking at what marriage is in light of the gospel and how the gospel applies to marriage and how we can practically live out the gospel in our marriages. Last week, we looked at Genesis chapter two and God's original design for marriage is to be between one man and one woman for life. Well, this week, we're gonna see the power and the beauty of the gospel on display through faithful love for an unfaithful spouse. Now, some of you are sitting here thinking, okay, Hosea, I'm not quite sure that is. That is okay. If you go to the very front of your Bible, there's a table of contents. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be ashamed. It's a tool. It's a resource. The Bible's broken up into two main sections, Old Testament and New Testament. The Old Testament is the history and life of the people of God before Jesus. The New Testament is Jesus and the early church. So you go in the Old Testament, you'll see towards the end, there's these 12 books towards the end of the Old Testament. They're called the Minor Prophets. They're called minor not because they're not significant, but because they're small in size. In comparison to Daniel, and Ezekiel and uh, Isaiah and Jeremiah, they're shorter in their length, but they're still equally as powerful and as equally the word of God. Well, Hosea is the first of the 12 minor prophets that we see there towards the end. And Hosea's ministry was primarily focused on the northern kingdom of Israel during the eighth century before Jesus. The book begins, chapter one, verse two, with the Lord telling Hosea to go and marry a woman of promiscuity. And the question is, why? 
Why would the Lord tell Hosea to do this? Why would God tell Hosea, the prophet, to go marry a sexually promiscuous woman? Well, he tells us at the end of verse two, chapter one, for the land is committing blatant acts of promiscuity by abandoning the Lord. You see, Israel has been worshiping other gods. Israel has been unfaithful to the Lord. And so to picture God's faithful love to his unfaithful wife, God calls Hosea to marry a promiscuous wife whose name is Gomer. You see, Hosea's marriage to Gomer was a metaphor. Their marriage symbolized how God's people had loved other gods other than or rather than the Lord. Well, one of the gods they worshiped was Baal. Baal was a god of rain and people would worship him in hopes that he would bring rain for their crops. Their form of worship was to perform acts of sexual immorality. In fact, they would form and build these temples for temple prostitution to entice Baal to bring rain for food. Well, God detested this practice and he pronounced judgment on his people through the names of Hosea's three children. The first son, he named Jezreel, which was a warning to God's people that they would be defeated by their enemies. His second child was a daughter. Her name was No Mercy. God would not show mercy to the people of Israel. They would get what their sins deserved. The third child was a son whom he named Not My People. God's people had turned their hearts away from him and he said, you are not my people. You see, God loved his wife, Israel, but she was continuously unfaithful. The people turned their hearts away from him and chased after other gods. But God promised that judgment was coming and it did. And in 722 BC, the nation of Assyria would capture the northern kingdom and take the people off into captivity. But the Lord still loved his people. He cared for his wife. He would pursue her, pursue her. And he made a promise of a coming day in chapter two, verse 18, when war will be no more and the people will rest securely. And he promises in Hosea two, verse 19, I will take you to be my wife forever. I will take you to be my wife in righteousness, justice, love, and compassion. I will take you to be my wife in faithfulness and you will know the Lord. For some of you, you have been hurt by your spouse or by your former spouse. Through their words, through their actions, they have hurt you and wounded you. Maybe you have been on the receiving end of unfaithfulness. And may I say to you, I'm so sorry. My heart aches with you and for you. And may I say to you, Jesus is your faithful bridegroom. Jesus is your faithful husband. He is the one who loves you. He is the one who will always be faithful to you. Jesus is the one who will never forsake you. He will never divorce you. Jesus will never stiff arm you. Jesus will never push you away. He loves you and he provides great comfort to those who come to him. And the Lord promises you that there's coming a day when he will say, you will be married to me. I will take you to be my wife in faithfulness and you will know the Lord. 
You see, there's coming a day in chapter two, verse 23, when he says, I will show mercy. I will say to not my people, you are my people. And so to picture the Lord's covenant faithfulness to his people, notice what the Lord tells Hosea in chapter three, verse one. Then the Lord said to me, go again, show love to a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Just as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love raisin cakes. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and five bushels of barley. I said to her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be promiscuous or belong to any man and I will act the same way toward you. What we see in the text is a demonstration of faithful love for the unfaithful spouse. Notice what the Lord says to Hosea. The first is this, is that the faithful husband goes after his wife again. Goes after his wife again. Chapter three, verse one, then the Lord said to me, go again. Hosea began his marriage with the understanding that his wife would betray him. He knew it was going to happen. She would continuously commit adultery. She would not remain faithful. You can imagine the pain and anguish that this brought upon Hosea. The woman whom he was to love more than anyone in the world would reject him and pursue other men. The deep emotional pain probably felt like a dagger to the heart, just being raked across over and over as she continuously turned her heart towards other, other men. You can imagine the judgmental stares that Hosea experienced as he would go out in public, people shaking their heads in pity, saying, poor Hosea, what a sucker. Doesn't he know what his wife is doing but the Lord would not allow Hosea to back out of the marriage. The Lord tells him, go again. Hosea, go get her. Why? Because the Lord wants to show Israel and he wants to show you and he wants to show me what he is like. The Lord is long-suffering and he is the lover of our souls who loves us so deeply like a husband who loves his bride. Hosea going to Gomer again is pointing us to the character of God. And yet when we turn our backs on the Lord, we are committing cosmic infidelity. What Hosea's pursuit of his wife is pointing us towards is the greater pursuit that would take place in the gospel by the one who is the better and greater Hosea. You see, the grace of Jesus is greater than our worst betrayal. This is so rich. This is rock beneath your feet, y'all. This is a reason you can stand up and sing and shout is that no matter how egregious the sin that you have committed, no great your offense, no matter the shame you bring upon yourself or your family, the grace of Jesus is greater. You see, the point of the story is not to look and say, wow, Hosea is a great man. No, 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 no. The point of the story is to say, wow, Jesus is a great savior. God does not look at our infidelity, y'all, and say, good riddance. He doesn't throw our clothes out the second story window. He doesn't throw dishes at us. 
No, he's the father who sees his prodigal son far off and runs to him. He throws his robe around us, covering our shame. He puts a ring on your finger. He kills the fattened calf and he throws a party and says, let's celebrate because what once was lost has now been found. God goes after his unfaithful wife and this is the heartbeat of God. He is the one who comes pursuing after us. You see, before you and I start judging Gomer, the point of the story is you and I, we are Gomer. We are the ones who have turned our hearts away from the Lord. We are the ones who have turned our hearts towards other gods. All of us have pursued after other lovers. All of us have gone after other gods. We have continually committed spiritual adultery. In Psalm 24, David asks, who can ascend the holy hill of the Lord? Who can stand in his presence? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol. If we took a poll right now to say, who here can say I've got clean hands and a pure heart and I've never lifted up my soul to an idol, we would be lying if we had our hand up. No one can say that. No one has clean hands. No one has a pure heart. No one can say, I've never lifted up my soul to an idol, except Jesus. You see, this is why we need Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of Psalm 24. He is the one with clean hands and a pure heart who never lifted up his soul to an idol. He is the one who has always been faithful to us even when we have been unfaithful to him. We are the ones who have loved ourselves and have loved our little gods. But good news, God has not given up on you. No matter how bad you've fallen, You've never gone too far from God's amazing grace. This is the good news of the gospel. You see, in the gospel, there's a sense in which we see God the Father who commissions the Son and points to his bride and says, go get her. And at Christmas time, we celebrate the arrival of God's rescue plan. The bridegroom has come to rescue his bride bride. We have a God who does not leave us in our sin, but he pursues after us. And by sending his son who goes after his wife, the church. But I also want you to see number two, that the faithful husband shows love to his wife. Shows love to his wife. Chapter three, verse one, what's Hosea to do when he goes to his wife? Well, the Lord tells him, verse one, show love to a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Hosea is to go to his wife who is in the arms of another man and he is to show her love. You can imagine the deep pain that he feels, the agony, the embarrassment, the jealousy, the rage. There are so many responses that I can think of, but mine would probably not be showing love. God's command, y'all, it sounds crazy. Like, like who, who can love someone who does that? And the Lord says, I do. I love like that. I love those who've turned their back on me. I love those who've been unfaithful to me. I love those who do not love me with their heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
I go after the one who has run far from me. You see, Hosea is loving his wife who does not love him back. Just as verse one, the Lord loves the Israelites, though they have turned to other gods and loved raisin cakes. Raisin cakes, in the sense of this text, they were an aphrodisiac that Israel would eat in pagan worship. So God is using drastic imagery to show how far Israel had fallen and how much greater his love is and the greatest of links that he goes through to bring us back. When I was in college, there was a senior adult couple who would invite me and some buddies over to their house every Sunday after church for lunch. And oh my goodness, Betty Jo could throw down, y'all. I mean, we're talking pot roast and carrots and potatoes, and green beans, yeast rolls with lots of butter. And like as a college student, this was gold, right? And she would top it off with like a, a strawberry pie or a chocolate pie. And oh, it was so good. It was so good. And her husband, David, would sit at the kitchen table and he would tell us stories and he would share scripture with us and he would just drop wisdom to us, these nuggets of truth. And like, oh, this is so rich. Now, I remember one Sunday after church, we're finished eating, the dessert plates have been taken off and he puts his elbows up on the table and kind of folds his hands like this and smiles and says, men, what's the greatest love story in the Bible? And so the three of us were him hauling around, uh, yeah, uh, um, and he goes, I'll tell you what it is. It's Hosea and Gomer. And at the time, I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. But this week, as I've been studying this text, I thought, I think David was onto something. We see the love of a husband for his wife who has turned not only her heart away from her husband, but has pursued after other men. And the Lord says, go after her. Again, go get her. And I want you to love her. I want you to pursue her. I want you to go to the one who has turned her heart away from you. You see, God's wife, Israel, continually turned from his love and embraced the arms of another God. In Hosea, we see a picture of a jealous God who loves his wife and not only goes after her, but shows love to her. You see, we too commit spiritual adultery when, our turn, when we turn our hearts away from the Lord. When we love other things more than the Lord, money, cars, stuff, children, career, popularity, clothes. Question, what is it that your heart chases after? What are the gods that you love more than the Lord? One of the ways you can help identify what those things are is your time and your money. Where you spend your time and where you spend your money reveals where your greatest treasure is, who you love the most. Those two, your checkbook and your schedule, are able to help you navigate and identify what are the things that I love the most. And these can be good things. Children and family are a good thing, but they're not ultimate. Marriage and a career are good things, but they're not ultimate. 
we must be careful as believers to make sure that our greatest affections and more than that, our greatest allegiance is to King Jesus and everything else pales in comparison to our, uh, our fellowship of him saying, Jesus, you are King and you are Lord and you are the one I treasure more than all things. You see, God loves us like a husband and yet we choose to, to chase after other things. We love other things. But that does not stop the unfailing love of God for you. Because we see ultimately verse two is realized in Jesus where the Lord says, verse two, go and go again and show love to your wife. We see this realized in Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates, love this, God demonstrates, he shows his own love for us in this that while we were yet sinners, while we were still in the arms of another man, while we were still in the arms of another God, while we were there, he still loved us. He still pursued us. And he goes and dies for us at the cross. You see, God not only tells you that he loves you, he proves it by going to the cross. I want you to see thirdly here in the text that the faithful husband, he buys back his wife. Y'all, this is so rich. All the depths of how far Gomer had fallen. She had left Hosea. She went to other lovers and then other lovers. And then in chapter two, she becomes a prostitute. She went from her husband to man after man after man. And Hosea is to go and get her while, verse one, she's still in the arms of another man. Now we see in the text that she is in a type of slavery. How do we know this? Well, chapter three tells us. We see here that her lover has put her up for sale, verse three. Israel in eighth century had decayed spiritually so far that they had started to adopt the customs and cultures of those around them. And so the pagan ways of the people were now being adopted by Israel. What we see in verse three is most likely a public auction. Gomer was probably stripped naked so that the buyers could see what they were getting. You can imagine as the bidding is taking place, there she stands exposed to the whole world, possibly shutting her eyes because that's the only thing that she can control. Possibly thinking, how have I found myself here? The bidding begins. Three shekels, five shekels, seven shekels. But then all of a sudden, she hears a familiar voice. 11 shekels, 13 shekels. She opens her eyes, and who is there doing the bidding but her husband, Hosea? He is there buying back his wife, and that familiar voice cries out, verse 2, 15 shekels of silver. Oh, this is so good. And five bushels of barley. Hosea redeemed her. He paid the price. He bought her 
back. And at the moment of Hosea's, excuse me, Gomer's greatest degradation, here is her husband buying her back. May I say to you, when you were at your worst, Jesus was at his best. And though the devil sees you as a worthless slave, you are a priceless child to your heavenly father. You see, we see Hosea purchasing his wife with money, but Jesus purchases us with his life. In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says, you are not your own for you were bought at a price. 1 Peter 1.19 says, for you were redeemed from your empty way of life, not with silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. In our sin, you and I, we were on that auction block. We were there naked and exposed, full of shame, living in our sin. But we heard the voice of an ancient Galilean accent. And he's crying out and he is bidding and he is working and he is purchasing us so that we might be restored back to him. And then Jesus, through the cross, he wins us, he purchases us, he redeems us, he buys us back, and he then covers our sin and our shame with his own righteousness. Just as God clothed Adam and Eve through a sacrifice, God clothes you and I through the sacrifice of his son Jesus. You see, though we have rejected the lover of our souls, in the gospel, our glorious husband pursues his bride and gladly pays the price to win us back. You see, you and I, we were just like Gomer because of our sin. We were naked and full of shame. We were vulnerable. We were in danger of attack of the ancient serpent. But God in Christ purchased you. And he did so through the cross. He did so through the shedding of the blood of his one and only son, your bridegroom, who buys you back and says, you belong to me. Fourthly, we see here in the text that the faithful husband, he lives with his wife. Oh, I love this. This is so good. I love how Hosea says this, verse three. He says, you are to live with me. As she stands there, at the lowest point of her life, all of her sin is found out. She's covered in shame. Hosea says, we're gonna have a future together. We're gonna build a home together. We're gonna build a family together. I want you to come and I want you to Live with me. Now, she doesn't deserve this, but she's loved. May I say to you, you and I, we don't deserve the grace of Jesus, but we're loved. And Jesus came and he, he lived with us. John 1 says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus came and he lived with us. He tabernacled with us. Why? So that John 14 so that when he says, I'm going away to prepare a place for you, if I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, here we go, so that where I am, you may be also. The Lord is saying, you are gonna come and live with me. I am gonna take care of you. 
We are going to build a future together. And this is the promise that God has given to us. That God not only comes to you, but he shows his love. He buys you back from your sin and your shame. And he says, you're, not, you're now gonna come and you're gonna live with me. And on that day, look at verse five. This is so good. Israel will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. Now, wait a minute. David's been dead for 200 years. Who's Hosea talking about here? Well, there must be another David. Well, Jesus is the son of David. And he is the one who sits on David's throne forever. And Jesus, in Matthew chapter nine, calls himself the bridegroom. I am the bridegroom. You see, Jesus is the faithful bridegroom who awaits at the altar. He awaits at the end of the aisle with tears streaming down his cheeks full of joy because his bride is coming towards him, smitten how he gets to marry the love of his life. The church, me, and you. So what does that mean for us? And this is the challenge. This is the call this morning for all of us. And it's this, the impact point. Renew your vow to the Lord. Renew your vow to the Lord. If this morning you don't know Jesus, then it begins by saying, I do. Coming to Jesus and saying, I have sinned against you and I am guilty, but I believe you died on the cross for me, that you rose again on the third day and you now have all of my life. I'm gonna follow you all of my days. I'm yours forever. For many of us in this room, we've made that decision to follow Christ. We've already said the I do's, but maybe you've gotten away from your first love. You've neglected that love that you had at first for the Lord Jesus. That time in which it was just the two of you and he was enough and he's satisfied and you were not allowing your heart to chase after other gods. Maybe today is the day in which you renew your vow. You come to the Lord Jesus this morning and you say, Lord, I wanna come back. And I wanna, I wanna confess, Lord, I've not been where I should have been. My heart has chased after all of these other things and it's you are the one. You are the one. And so, Lord, I just wanna come this morning and say, I love you. Thank you that you first loved me. Thank you that you still care for me. Thank you that you wanna live with me. And Lord, I wanna live with you. You're mine, both now and forever. This morning, renew your vow to the Lord and he welcomes you home. He covers you, he welcomes you, he buys you back and says, come on, let's live together forever.